Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. Hello, hello, hello. So things have been slowing down here at Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis, in case you had not noticed. And I've been off my every week promise of a new episode. Yes, it is the summer. And yes, I am planning a break in August from the podcast. But it has also been scheduling conflicts with some upcoming guests and an upgrade on Squadcast, which is the platform that I use to record these on that threw in some technical glitches, shall I say. And I decided it was a sign. You know, I am big on signs from the universe. So I decided it was a sign that I should do a solo episode this week. And what I want to talk about is the internet. Now, the internet is a wonderful thing. All this access to so much information, as easy as a Google search away. You know, honestly, it's hard for me to remember what I did when I needed a quick answer to something before the internet. Yet somehow I managed. Back in those dark pre-1991 days when the World Wide Web, the information superhighway, as we once called it, was simply a defense project for the U.S. government and was not yet open to commercial access. Back then... When I needed an answer, I did things like go to a library and find an article or a book on the subject. Some of us, maybe we had access to the Encyclopedia Britannica, or maybe if we were lucky, we knew an expert who could help us. And we picked up the telephone and we made a call and asked that person. Gosh, it sounds almost quaint now. We managed just at a slower pace, something we had no patience for until the pandemic hit, and we were, in my opinion, rather pleasantly reminded that, you know, maybe a slower pace is not such a bad thing. It gives us time to think, to read, maybe to create. The fact is that the data has shown us that a lot of creativity is born out of a little boredom. Now, do not misunderstand me. I love internet access. I love I can connect with people on the other side of the world And I love to search for information, whether it is a topic I need to know something about or maybe a new carpet for my apartment. But the thing that bothers me the most about the internet is this assumption that if it's on the internet, it must be true. Or worse, if it made it to the top of my Google search, it is the most accurate answer and therefore the most true. No, 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 that is not true. Just because it is on the internet does not make it true and accurate. You may be thinking, well, Joanne, you know, I I know that already. But you know what? Not everyone does. And before I explain why, I want to take you on a little trip down memory lane. Again, going back into those dark ages I was talking about. This is when I was a student in the New York City public school system. They taught us a few things about the news back then. The first thing was, and I kid you not, was how to fold a newspaper so you could read it on the subway. 
Now, for those too young to remember, before a mobile device became a third appendage, subways and buses and planes were full of people holding printed publications in their hands and not a phone. So learning how to fold a newspaper was an important skill to know. A, it prevented the, per- the, the paper from hitting the person sitting next to you. And B, it made it easier to do a crossword puzzle. But I digress a little. They also explained the difference between news reporting and opinion. The op-ed page was where the opinions were kept. Broadcast television and radio followed suit until the FCC eliminated the Truth and Fairness Doctrine in 1987, which up until then had required that they have, quote, fair and balanced coverage of controversial issues. And it also had granted equal airtime to opposing candidates for public office. Clearly, these are things we don't do anymore. Keep in mind, cable networks were far from a thing then. And even once they became a thing, they were not broadcast channels. And so they wouldn't need to abide by a regulation like that anyway. It's kind of how Fox gets away with calling itself, quote, news, unquote, channel. Now, prior to that, an opinion of the network was once perceived by a disclaimer that this was an opinion and not reported news in the journalistic sense. No one knew how Walter Cronkite felt about anything he reported on CBS until he shed a tear the day he announced that President John F. Kennedy had died. And later, when he came back from Vietnam in 1968 and famously expressed his opinion about what he saw. And that, that night on the news, he said, and I quote, it seems now more certain than ever that the bloody experience of Vietnam is to end in a stalemate. It is increasingly clear to this reporter that the only rational way out then will be to negotiate, not as victors, but as an honorable people who lived up to their pledge to defend democracy and did the best they could. This is Walter Cronkite. Good night, end quote. Factual news reporting and opinion were separate and distinct. Cronkite prefaced his statement that this was subjective, his opinion. It's not so easy in today's world, where ratings and ad dollars seem to have become much more important than in-depth reporting, and where 24-hour cable news stations exist, and half of those 24 hours seem to be spent with opinions and pontificating, and some, we'll go back to Fox News again, go so far as to invent conspiracy theories with absolutely no data to back it up. But back to the internet. The first time I saw firsthand the inaccuracies of what can come up in a Google search was several years ago when I was working with my then client, Gay Brown, on her book, Living with a Green Heart, How to Keep Your Body, Your Home, and the Planet Healthy in a Toxic World. I recommend the book if you're interested in learning more about that. I had an idea for the beginning of one of her chapters on the harmful effects of the chemicals used in skincare. And I wanted to start with the history of makeup. I just wasn't sure it was the Egyptians or the Greeks who had started using makeup. Of course, being Greek, I thought it was the Greeks. Turns out I was wrong. But surprisingly enough to me at that time, WebMD was near the top of the results page. I found that strange. But since I believe that site held some credibility, I dove in, and to my surprise, 
they basically discredited the fact that any of the chemicals and preservatives used in skincare had any harmful effects on anyone's health. Now, by this time working with Gay, I had done a great deal of research on this subject, and I knew this was completely inaccurate. And what concerned me just as much was how many people might read this article and believe WebMD over the science. And how did it get so high up in the rankings when it was clearly not the, as Google likes to say, quote, the best answer? Ram Fishkin, the former CEO and co-founder of SEO Moz, and now the co-founder of SparkTuro, did an excellent piece on the secrets of getting to the top of a Google search last year that I will link to in the show notes. What you see, when you, what you see according to, to, to Rand, is that Google controls the majority of web traffic referrals, 70% from Google search, YouTube, and G- Gmail. This is when I start to get a little uneasy. According to his three-part series, The Dirty Secrets to Ranking Number One is, number one, be owned by Google. Number two, pay to rank at the top of a search engine's result page. And number three, have content that gets higher engagement than other content. Now, notice that not one of these reasons is based on accuracy of results. Misinformation, the unintentional spread of false or misleading information, and or disinformation, the intentional spread of false or misleading information, tends to get high engagement. Data suggests that, sadly, fake news spreads faster than the truth, which results in higher engagement. In other words, a factually true article that does not get high engagement will rank lower than one full of falsehoods. In the marketing world, we love high engagement. It tells us people are actually paying attention to what we're sharing online. In the world of bad actors, which the digital world is full of, high engagement can help spread inaccurate, misleading, and often plain old lies quicker and faster than the truth. Now, keep in mind that Google is not the only culprit. Search happens within platforms like Facebook and LinkedIn, For that matter, search happens within within an e-commerce site like Staples. And if you've ever used Staples search to find a specific product you're looking for, you know how poor and inaccurate a search experience can be. Search is one of the reasons for Amazon's success. Although of late, it seems to me, their search results are being overrun with paid search results before you can find any product that has not written a check to Amazon. Of course, no one writes checks anymore, do they? I stand corrected. Anyone who has sent them money so that they can run an ad with them. So why have I been ranting about this today? Well, my point is that just because it is on the internet does not make it true. Just because it is trending on Twitter does not make it newsworthy. All of this is being driven by algorithms that take engagement into account before accuracy or truth. And the bad stuff, the intentional disinformation, is being aided and abetted by bots and trolls and sock puppets, created to spread it faster and quicker and intentionally disrupt our social discourse and our sense of what is fact and what is fiction.
So going back to my little trip down memory lane of what I was taught about the news back in the day was that learning that it is really important to read all sides of an issue so you can intelligently form your own opinion. And that means doing some homework and fact-checking of your own. It's a lot more challenging in today's world than it was before the internet when truth and opinion were easier to distinguish but it is one of the small steps we can all take until these big tech companies work on creating algorithms that benefit not just their bottom line revenue statements, but our society at large, in my opinion. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember... Whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.